Der Fußball ist zurück in der zweiten Liga. Jabo macht Tempo, wartet auf Harte. Herzlang gekommen und jetzt ist es Klos. Also Arminia Bielefeld. Penny 2-0. 2-0 für den FC St. Pauli. Diese Flanke, Tor, nächster Treffer. Es heuer Fernandes mit vorne. Ja klar ist er mit vorne. Kittel mit der Ecke. Guten Tag and welcome to another edition of the Swider Bundesliga podcast. On today's edition, we will be discussing all of the action from match day 23. We saw unbeaten runs coming to an end. One team continuing their extraordinary rise from being in the down in the dumps section of the table. And some teams completely self-combusting in the worst ways possible. Alongside me to discuss all of the action... From match day 23, I say a warm welcome to Evelotta Bola. Eva, good morning to you. Obviously, a lot happened on the weekend, especially uh, a particular club from Ostwestfalen. But we won't talk about them just yet because we've got a nice little section all planned for them. There were some movers and shakers in the standings, and one team in particular turned a two-horse promotion race into three. Yeah, yeah, I'm very, very happy that you didn't even ask me how I'm doing because obviously we know it's the since Sunday every day something happened. Uh, we're going to talk about that later, but um, yeah, I mean, we kept saying the last couple of weeks um, that we're getting more and more serious, that there are still results happening, that we're uh, not sure about how to kind of re- review them in the in the context of the of the season for the next couple of games um but if we're going to talk about the first game this is huge in a way for both sides actually um because it in the table it means something it meant something obviously for Darmstadt because they've only lost one game so far this season um, and this was kind of one of the games you didn't really want to lose because um, obviously it, it gives your direct opponent strength you were hoping not to give them um, but I think we can dive into that directly and so yes. the stage is yours yes my sincerest apologies for not asking how you were I just felt it was implied uh, based on the previous 48 hours that uh, uh, had I asked such questions, you may have leapt through your computer screen and tried to just remind me of how you were really feeling. But we'll talk about that particular team uh, in Group 2. As Eva alluded to, the big race for promotion, Heidenheim and Darmstadt were the top spieler. To be frank, this game was not great to watch. Um, Unfortunately, I had a nice little tweet lined up for it, but... uh, that all changed later in the game. Uh, Darmstadt had a pretty good scoring chance. In fact, they actually did score it when uh, uh, Philip Tietz headed the ball into the back of the net, but he was marginally offside. Patrick Meiker hit the crossbar towards the end of the first half, and really, it, it seemed as if Heidenheim were wrestling control. Darmstadt really, maybe they didn't seem up to it. I, it was hard to really gauge their performance because even when they made substitutions, they seemed a little bit poor. I, I, I didn't think they were particularly good in this game at all. Um, 
it was always going to take the best moment to break the deadlock, and the best moment came a minute before the end of the 90 minutes, Stefan Schimmer finding Jan Nicholas Bester, and Bester cool, calm, and collected, beating Marcel Schuen to make it 1-0, and that would be your final. Bester injuring, well, I think it was cramp, because he didn't do a Nikolai Muller where he celebrated and then he missed the entirety of the season. That was a match day one effort. Um, so, Bester with seven goals, Heidenheim with three points. And with that result, they are very much in the mix for promotion. They also... Um, that that margin is now three points um, between the top three. This was always going to be a tricky game for, for Darmstadt. We know how unbelievably difficult Heidenheim is at home. We say this virtually every home game they have, but it is a statement of fact. And once again, they proved why taking points at the Voigt Arena is so difficult. Yeah, and I mean, uh, it was a game where we weren't completely sure what to expect, I think, because um, Heidenheim not with the overly convincing performance against Bielefeld, Darmstadt obviously still with a lot of injured players, still the problem for them. Um, And then you had that beginning where Heidenheim had this mistakes and build up kind of invited Darmstadt a bit um I was like I think just a minute into the game where you had that teeth chance um but also you could really really see in that game that Darmstadt especially in the first half focused on long range shots mm-hmm. um and there were I mean, it had something to do that. Obviously, you at that stage you can't bring the same quality on the pitch with with substitutions as well. Um, the the team itself is very intact, but at the same time, if you if you play against uh, an opponent who has that dominance, who has that knowledge that at home. Um, they're naturally just very, very difficult to beat. And obviously that Heidenheim learned from their mistakes against HSV, so a bit more stable concerning that matter. And what I thought was a bit weird that after the offside Tate's goal, we didn't really have much from Darmstadt afterwards. Like, they didn't have a single shot on target in that entire second half. Um, and that's something... I mean, you had that Holland shot after after a free kick that was deflected. But um, I would say at some stage it looked like the game was going to end nil-nil. Mm. Um, and, and we know that one individual quality or one individual effort can change those games and this is often the reason why games actually in that top tier of the league are being decided because there's one moment where you say okay um, right here right now and obviously as you've mentioned that was best the the, obviously the send off of Burnage didn't really have had any impact um, I thought it was a harsh decision, but okay. In that matter, I think you can go with it. Um, but yeah, 
it's um i think it it, it wasn't okay as mentioned um maybe in the if you if you see the whole game where only three yellow cards and then obviously the second yellow for Brunic mm. were given out maybe that sometimes is a bit difficult to to explain um yeah but at the same time it really had an, an impact on the game afterwards because obviously I think came very very late into the game um for Darmstadt I think they it's it's very difficult to decide what the next upcoming or at least the two two games that are coming up so they have Bielefeld next we're going to talk about them later in Kaiserslautern um two clubs out of different re- reasons why it's always difficult to see how it will go uh Bielefeld because we have no idea who is going to be coach and all that and Kaiserslautern because um they had a very, at least from my point of view, unexpected result against Magdeburg. Um, so, and especially Bielefeld, they have something to play for. Kaiserslautern, I think we're at this stage where we can say they're probably not going to be in the final promotion race. Um, but still, they want to want to show a good performance against Darmstadt. So, and I mean, this is the thing about the, the Zweite Bundesliga, what we keep saying, there are no easy games. There are, obviously there are games where, which you shouldn't lose, where you mainly against, obviously the teams that are on top of the league with you. So just to keep them at bay. At the same time, there are games where you're expected to win. Uh, for the context, but also just to get the points, obviously. So that's why it's a bit difficult, and that's why I said last week I'm trying really, really hope for that international break. I would assume to get the players back to have one final breakthrough before it gets to the very, very most vital part of the season, and that's going to be the last two months of the season obviously and for Heidenheim um yeah that I mean they were very close winning to to against highest foul um they definitely learned and they uh you kind of had the feeling they were collecting their strengths for the Bielefeld game did everything they had to and obviously now um got got all three points here against a team where we know it's not easy winning against them. Um, so, yeah, that was that was good. Yeah, I mean, I, I really liked what Heidenheim did defensively in this game. Um, you know, a lot of long... Limiting, essentially excluding that big chance that was given offside. Majority of the efforts from Darmstadt were from long distance. They were low percentage. The likelihood of them scoring was very, very low. Um, and... You know, there was definite cohesion. I, I, I just wonder, had this game been played at Darmstadt, it would have been a different-looking game, without question. I think Darmstadt, at the moment, very much limping. Uh, they, they, they are a car that is in desperate need of a bit of a service. Get all the part, the, fr- the parts back into the car and, and make it till at the, uh, the remainder of the season. They're just kind of... Yeah, they're struggling. I mean, you would argue that this game, the next two games they've got, actually come at the best time for them. Because 
you know they are they're having their troubles, but they've been picking up results. The two teams they play next, yeah, they they will feel very comfortable that they can get results there. Uh, Heidenheim they've got Dusseldorf on Saturday night. They've got the top Spieler again, uh, and then they've got Karlsruhe on Friday night, heading into the international break. The team that's in the meat of that Heidenheim Darmstadt sandwich is Hamburg. That was the joke. I oh, know it was awful. Should have said hamburger, I think. Um, they took on Nuremberg. Nuremberg, of course, winning last time out against Zanhausen. Hamburg played that the draw against Darmstadt at home. They are they well, they've been beatable at home, but they really took no chances in this game. And it started on 19 minutes when Jean Luc Dompe scored an excellent free kick to beat uh, Linda uh, Vindal Jensen in goal. Uh, one thing that became very interesting from re-watching the highlights was being reminded that Dompe is, in fact, a better free-kick taker than he is a car driver. He would also be on hand for a an assist in this game as well. He assisted Ludovic Rice on 52 minutes with a nice little cheeky cutback. Rice tapping it in, and that's his seventh goal of the campaign. They had a third initially through Robert Glatzel, but that was chalked off for a foul which I might question as one of the worst decisions we've seen this season. It's quite clearly the Nuremberg player was already going to the deck regardless of the contact. The contact was incidental, in my opinion. That was a good goal. For me, that was a good goal. Um, But the referee crew of Tobias Reichel and his VAR assistants disagree. Well, I disagree with them. Uh, They would get that third goal anyway. It didn't really matter because on... In the fifth minute of stoppage time, substitute Ransford Jabor Konigsdorfer uh, finishing off the work of Jonas Meffert and three beers the, the number of goals scored and the number of points taken for Hamburg. What does this mean for Hamburg? It means they are now a single point behind Darmstadt. That is good for them as they've got a superior goals for, but they've conceded more goals as well. Um, for Nuremberg, on the other hand, uh, they benefited from... The teams below them failing to secure victories. The only team that started the match day below them that won was Magdeburg, and we'll talk about them in Group 3. The numbers suggest it was a pretty routine victory for Hamburg, and to be fair, um, it seemed quite that way. Nuremberg had quite a lot of chances, but none of them were of serious quality. Um, Yeah, I, I think it would be fair to say that Hamburg comfortable in the end deserved winners and you know they might have preferred Heidenheim losing on the weekend to keep that points gap for a second or third um, but you know if they keep te- if they keep taking care of business uh, they'll they'll put themselves very much in an excellent position to gain promotion yeah and I mean um, they it, it took them some time to get into the game but like with the with the Dompey goal, obviously they were they were into the game. Although you gotta say that the first half was well a bit a bit Hamburg like if you look at the last couple of weeks where you had the feeling they're taking the lead and then they kind of let it slide a bit. But obviously Nuremberg didn't bring a lot to the table in that first half either. Um, yeah, I think for. For Nuremberg, 
I don't know how to like I we said it before this is probably not the game where we can say what impact data hacking will have um because it's just like obviously at the same time that that second goal was mm. not good yeah. defending like I mean at some stage you you got to get the ball out of the box and out of Hamburg's possession and they didn't manage that so and they had plenty of yeah of of moments where you could have intercept I mean you had been a Shiata Glatzel Dompe and then obviously guys were all kind of in that box in wider box area where you could have intercepted and they didn't really do that and you kind of had the feeling that they didn't really know if to go on to the person who is going to take the cross or the shot or not or just stand there and trying to defend whatever is coming didn't work well let's say that uh, I would agree that the I didn't really understand why it was given a foul on Schindler um, it's I mean if we see like that we had that um, we're going to talk about the Fjord Hanover game later and this was kind of the opposite mm. not that the person wanted to score the goal but the person who wanted to score the goal was fouled and a penalty was given and then taken away um, because it was not enough for, like, the contact wasn't enough for a penalty. So that's where you kind of return it around. Once again, it's very difficult for us to decide which contacts are actually, can be overruled as well, um, how it's being seen by the referees, both on the pitch and in front of the cameras in Cologne. So, yeah, I don't know. Um, obviously, obviously, Koenigsdorfer, um, it's good for him. I think it's uh, obviously he's eager to get in the starting lineup. Again, this is what we talked about last week. We weren't really sure what impact the Koenigsdorfer, um goal and effort is going to have on, on the lineup with Yatta. Um, but obviously, it's always good to have people coming off the bench um, to get a goal I mean he, he didn't bring it home in a way that it wasn't a clear result before but obviously still good uh, because you talked about um, yeah goal difference which is going to be could be essential towards the end um, yeah I think in the end not to be disrespectful but easy win for, for Hamburg but I mean, we said it before about Nuremberg, the upcoming games are going to be the one that they really, really get to, like, have to improve and show what they can do against Braunschweig and then against Bielefeld for the international break. Those are going to be the more important games. And, I mean, they have to show a bit more effort than they did against Sandhausen as well. Mm-hmm. Um, but in... I mean, still at the end, three points are three points, and I think they just want to get through the season at this stage. Um, but yeah, yeah. I mean, they could obviously benefit with scoring some goals. That would absolutely help the case. And as you mentioned, the two games uh, this coming Friday and next Friday will be vital in Nuremberg being able to gap themselves from essentially direct competitors. So. Yeah, if we're going to see what impact data hacking has on this, on this, it's all about picking up the results against the teams in and around them. For Hamburg, they've got Karlsruhe on Sunday, and then they've got Kiel 
on the Saturday afternoon. That's a World Feed game that is on the 18th, so not this coming week, but next week. And finally, for Group 1, we are going to head to the Home Deluxe Arena, Paderborn against St. Pauli. St. Pauli were hoping to make it six in a row. Paderborn, who are there and about. They've had a few injuries, but they were hoping to be the spoilers of this streak. St. Pauli really got things going early on. And the hero of the day was Lucas Dashner. He would score twice in this game. His first goal was really nice for all. Essentially, the ball was kind of in dispute. He grabs it, bit of a touch to his left, and then he whips it past Yannick Hoot into the bottom corner. He would be on hand again. This time, it was a much prettier goal to watch. St. Pauli getting Paderborn on the break. Dashner's ball to Saliakas. Saliakas back to Dashner, and 2-0 it was at the break. Paderborn did start to slowly turn the screws in the second half. They were the benefactors of an own goal. Uh... I would say that Nikola Vasil, who was excellent in this game, his one and only mistake was not parrying that ball further away. Uh, he parried it into the legs of poor old Carol Metz, who just couldn't do anything about it. And and then Paderborn really started to get it going. I think the substitution of Dennis Sabeni, he worked really well with Florian Muslia in that second half. They peppered the goal mouth. Sabeni had multiple chances. Uh, he had that one in the stoppage time where he really should have put that header on target. Um, and you know, ultimately, it wasn't enough for Paderborn. They lose. St. Pauli make it six on the bounce. Um, and you know, thirty-five points. They are three points behind Kaiserslautern and Dusseldorf. Now they're obviously not going to surprise us and magically make a run at the playoffs. That's just we live in real land. But one thing we can definitely say is that they're not going to go down, as every St. Pauli fan knocks on a piece of wood to ensure that doesn't happen um <laughs> you got need bigger piece of wood i think even for a other club <laughs> but uh yeah look um they've obviously got some big games coming up st pauli or well, this coming week is, is quite a big game against is, against grotto feud this turnaround as the weeks continue to progress seems more and more incomprehensible because obviously we we spoke about it last week and the week before that and the week before that and the week before that as they continue to progress that basics they 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 did some good things but I I, I think the one critique we could have about them is that when Paderborn started to turn up the heat a little bit, they pressed a bit more intensely when St. Pauli were trying to build up from the back. This is where they got a little bit vulnerable. There are a few on a few occasions they coughed up the ball. Paderborn were able to turn over, create chances. That's the one the one criticism we can have, because ultimately in their situation it was all about getting points. And once again, they are a perfect eighteen points from eighteen to start twenty twenty three. Yeah, I think at the same time, it's a bit calming to know that this other Pauli team is in a way still in there. But because um, obviously there there will be moments where insecurities come back from kind of the first lack of the season where, I mean, it's those are still the same players to stand on the pitch. And it's kind of natural that there are going to be moments where you can it will be shown that this is why they had problems before um but i think um all in all that the difference is that 
you have the feeling that although mistakes are happening, as you've mentioned in the second half, they invited Paderborn in. Like, Vasil was between brilliance and insanity from time to time. Like, there was this this uh, scene where I think... Um, I, I don't remember. I think it was... Um, it was Vasil, I don't remember who clears the ball in the end. Um, where where he once again, like with the one-two, where he pushes the ball mm. in in front once again. Um, but this time it's not a goal because in a way, everyone tries to get it out. Um, so that was, I think that's kind of the difference that you have the feeling that more is being done to in a group, get the ball out in the end, but obviously you shouldn't get yourself into that uh, position. Um, for Parabon, obviously very, very frustrating result in the end because they did improve in the second half. Um, it was just that they already kind of butchered in the first half, butchered it in the first half um, with their own mistakes that they couldn't really, like the task was bigger to come back here um obviously what didn't help was that Conte saw both yellow cards on the bench uh, <laughs> because he was uh, complaining so much and then he kind of slow clapped the referee and that got him the second yellow um in that scene well I mean um yeah, for, for St. Pauli, it's a good result. It's what they needed. It's just they can kind of calm down now, just looking forward to this to next season, kind of. Um, but at the same time, and I'm already going to say this now, um, we had this a couple of times now with St. Pauli that in the end, comfortable in the middle of the league, and then you, you had kind of you were hoping okay now they can push for maybe promotion next season and then they couldn't really hold on to that and I think now already is the time to set some yeah starting points for next season just to see where are points where you can add new players think still defensively they could need some I don't know maybe alternatives from time to time. Uh, but all in all, I think, uh, yeah, it's kind of funny enough. It's kind of now the, the season or the performance we were hoping for them, um, or expecting for them in the first place. Um, yeah. And for Paderborn, I think there, it's going to be a very weird race for the, that that playoff spot at the same time it's going to be more difficult to get there because you don't have only two teams now and then obviously the third place but you have three teams who are very close to each other and then you have a gap mm. and then you have teams very close to each other again um so that's going to be rather interesting um how's how that is going to end. Yeah. Um, yeah, for St. Pauli, they have... The, this was kind of the game where we said, okay, this is 
some sort of test for them, how they're going to perform against a team that is in the in the upper regions of the league. Um, don't think we can put a whole resume under that because of everything we just spoke about. But yeah, the game, they play Fürth and Sandhausen next. Um, they can go in there with a lot more calmness than they would have been like, I don't know, two months ago. So that's good. <laughs> For Paderborn, yeah. I mean, it's all about if, they, if they're if serious about having some sort of chance for at least the playoff spot, they need to pick up points against Magdeburg and Regensburg. Mm. Uh, but obviously, still all under the context that two of their most important players are missing, at least when you talk about the offense with Piringer and with Leipzig. So... Yeah, this is going to be the time. I mean, you already talked about Srebini, whether he can fill that void, um, at least in the two upcoming games. Yeah, I mean, obviously, Conte just completely losing his mind on the bench doesn't help a, a, a team that is really lean in the offensive third. I mean, I think we saw Nicholas Nardi get an opportunity and he actually almost had a chance to score when he came on. So, you know, obviously... Kwasniak will pro- probably see him start the Magdeburg game. I don't think Sabeni really bring... He, he seems to bring a bit more impact when he comes off the bench now, um, being that he's a bit older, doesn't have the same turn of speed he had a couple of seasons ago. So, yeah, obviously big games for both teams. But um, I would say, in in my personal opinion, uh, that the, the seven-point gap between them and Heidenheim for both sides, um, chasing for that, play- that last playoff spot is perhaps a little bit too large. Let's take our first break, and on the other side, we're going to make our way north to the Eintracht Stadion when we discuss Eintracht Braunschweig and Armenia Bielefeld. The Eintracht Stadion, host of a relegation six-pointer, 15th taking on 16th, in front of just under 20,000 on Sunday afternoon. Both sides needed three points, and it's really a single point each. It doesn't really help either side in their quest to avoid A, being pulled into the bottom two, and B, also trying to avoid having to play in the dreaded playoff spots. Bielefeld in particular, as we mentioned last week, were under arguably the most pressure. Daniel Schoening had, as was discussed last week, one game to save his job. So he would have been laughing to the bank when Bielefeld opened the scoring just six minutes in. Jomain Kombuks' shot, cannoning off the post, then cannoning off a poor old Yasmin Fezic and into the back of the net. And then five minutes later, they were 2-0 up. Another Konsbrush effort, saved by Fezic this time, but the parry was awful. He basically spilt the beans. Brian Lazma was on hand to tap in to make it 2 and then it was three on 21 minutes when Guillermo Ramos headed in his first goal of the campaign. 3-0 after 21 minutes. It's a done deal. Lock it in. Bieler thought kind of come home with three points. But if we've learned anything this season, 3-0 leads aren't safe. And it became very apparent just moments later because the returning Emmanuel Faraya decided we're coming back. A minute later, he scored. Assisted by 
Emmanuel Multalp. And then on 34 minutes, he did the same. Multalp to Farai. This one, in my opinion, was an unforgivable mistake from Martin Frazel to not cover the inside post. His position... It should never get there. It should never squeeze. It should never have squeezed in. That's my opinion. And then the comeback was complete on 72 minutes when Anthony Uja initially seemed like a heavy touch, put the ball into the box, and then he put the ball into the back of the net. 3-3 is your final. It helps really neither side gain, uh, you know, exit that sort of dangerous area. But the big change has happened over the last 48 hours. On Monday, Sami Arabi was relieved of his duties as sporting director. He's done many good things in his time at Armenia Bielefeld, namely being building the squad that got them back to the Bundesliga. However, it must be said, despite his what he's done, he's done some good things. His last 18 to 24 months have been borderline criminal. With no sporting director, it seemed inevitable, and it was last night, or Tuesday night, if you're listening to it on another day, Daniel Schoening was also relieved of his duties. Uh, he won his first game against Braunschweig, and his final game for Bielefeld would also come against De Leuven. Let's discuss. Eva, obviously this is quite a difficult situation for yourself personally regarding Bielefeld. It has been a very difficult season um, for the team from Ostwestfalen. And with no sporting director, no coach... Darmstadt coming to Bielefeld, it really screams like it's going to be a well. It's already a bumpy ride. We're aware um, of this kind of situ, this kind of an um, analogy. But whoever the next coach is, which at the moment we don't know who it will be, uh, they have a Herculean task to rebuild this team with twelve games remaining. <laughs> yeah i mean we before the game it was very clear like um uh that that shanning himself said it's the most important game of the season and then you start like that and then you completely choke so that that didn't really help obviously to to set his case then after the game obviously fans were not amused uh, first time that were actually hearable Agabi Rao's chance. Funny enough, some that is being um, both declared as unhealthy, I think, by one of the local newspapers and by the numerous times in the past week uh, by the kicker. I was a bit surprised to mm-hmm. hear that, but okay. Um, or read that because that, I mean, think if the fans did have the right to protest at this stage and uh, doesn't really help the, the players like Klunta say, okay, like Absteiger chance aren't helping us at the same time they're in free fall since last year at this point, more or less. Um, so I think it's always a bit weird how players trying to dictate how fans feel about this yeah. uh, and especially with them only being here for a year and the fans like been being at the club for a very, very long time and seeing stuff like this before at the same time, I can't remember it being so, so bad like this. Um, yeah. And I mean, the, 
the question before this was already if Xiaoning is out or needs to leave that the pressure on Samir Ravi was huge um, because obviously if he is both responsible for the plays and the pitch and for the coach so and yeah I'm, I mean in the end he wasn't fired he they it was he said he's going to leave so mutual <clears throat> my ass um <laughs> But, uh, yeah, I mean, it's, uh, this is something I want to, I said this on Twitter and I really, really want to emphasize on, um, because we're, it's, Samir Rabi did a lot for this club and, um, I think this is what a lot of fans, this is why I was a bit irritated by the fact that people were seeing, yeah, uh, when, First of all, some Bielefeld fans were celebrating this a lot. At the same time, other other fans of other clubs and stuff were saying, uh, um, oh, this is so weird what is happening there and this is so surprising. Um, I mean, I, I don't think it's a good thing to celebrate if we have to let coaches or um sporting directors go because it never means something good especially sporting directors towards the end of the season where there are contracts of players who for example Jermaine Kornsbruch where we do hope we can keep him uh, but obviously with no idea who's going to be the new coach who's going to be the coach next season what league we're going to play who is the sporting director what is going to be the the way to go there are a lot of questions remaining and that's why I'm not in the full on cheering mode because we're still 16th like mm. we at this stage we need someone who can understand the team right away uh, and who is going to help us and with all the names available at the moment I don't feel good with any of them so yeah that is not good um, this was also the first time Bielefeld did not win a game after taking the lead this season uh for all the other games, you kind of knew. We didn't take the lead often, but when we did, we knew we were going to win because... Mm. And if that, like, if those... We always talk about, like, for example, muscle memory kind of but on the pitch. Like, it's in some ways you got so used to as a team as well that this works and if we're at the stage where even that doesn't work, something that ha- does not happen very often, but still that doesn't work anymore, uh, something is wrong. And I mean, it does not help if if the president says, uh, well, but the coach is liked and the staff is like, yeah, but something is wrong, apparently. Mm-hmm. Um, and yeah. I mean, for, for Braunschweig, good result in the end, although a point doesn't help either team uh, that much, obviously. Um, and still the first half or the first opening um, 20 minutes, obviously, by them were so many mistakes and so many easy mistakes. Um, and, yeah, it, it took them some time to figure out beautiful weak spots. And, yeah, in the end, don't know what to say about that game. And, I mean... It, it spoke a lot what happened afterwards. Um, yeah. Yeah, I mean, th- these kinds of situations, it's always like, 
it's always difficult to, to kind of judge because if you're cheering for like no of course we we don't want to celebrate people losing their job, but it is clear throughout this season that this was about to happen. There there's been not only rumblings, but there's been indicators for Bielefeld that something was about to pop. And, you know, after multiple ch- different managers, you know, the Frank Kramer experiment, which was, you know, it was good initially because he kept them up in the Bundesliga. Then it beca- then they held on way too long and it was too late. Uli Forta lasted four games in the league and a cup game. And then they bought out the contract of Daniel Scherning from Osnabrück to bring him here. And it, as the longer his stint went on, it became more and more apparent he was not going to be the guy to push them out of their predicament. And it makes you wonder, should they have made moves earlier? You know, hindsight is very twenty twenty. The thing is now is, you know, what, 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 why are you celebrating of these two guys who are departing? It, you're 16th. Things are bad. And we're like, yeah, we're celebrating change. Change works if the new person coming in understands the situation. And I don't know who's going to be coaching them. I The, the, the name of candidates screams. There are red flags everywhere. This is the situation they're in. This is just the un- this is this is this is relegation football. They made they've had to make changes because the current squad is grossly underperforming. The current management wasn't good enough. The sporting director made too many mistakes leading to in the last you know year and a bit that has led to a position where they might become the first team since Paderborn to succumb to double relegation. These things are real. And they're celebrating, and the people celebrating. I don't understand it. Um, some love for Braunschweig. They had entered this game on three-game losing streak. They have been leaking goals, which is understandable because they essentially have no defense. Um, this is the second time they've had a three-goal deficit at home in consecutive games, uh, but this time they were able to score the equalizing goal. They've got Nuremberg on Friday night, in which will be a massive game for. Leuven. Uh, as we're talking about the teams in the bottom four, Regensburg is next. They hosted Fortuna Dusseldorf. Uh, the one goal in this game, and it came from a penalty. Conrad Faber fouling Felix Klaus in the box. It was a late decision by referee Dr. Robert Kamka, but in my opinion, the correct decision. It was a clear impediment even though Klaus was able to get the ball and, and header on goal, uh, I'm more than okay with that being a penalty. I think it's a really good decision. Um, upstairs, upsteps David Kovnatsky. Tor, that's your game. He's got 10 goals this season. Dusseldorf leapfrog their way to fifth position. Regensburg's miserable 2023 continues. They only have the one point to their name, but no change in coach. Unlike other teams around them who have made change or multiple changes, Mersen Selenbigovic survives for another's, another week. One would argue that this team probably isn't in the financial situation it claims to be to make a change at coach. This is why, with, and with Selenbigovic out of contract at the end of the season, 
they are going to stick fat and hope that something changes. The funny thing about this game for mine, though, is that it's not as if Dusseldorf were great. They just kind of were there. They did some things here and there. Um, they really got bailed out from the penalty because it definitely seemed for a long period of time that this game was going to end goalless. Yeah, and I mean, it, it must be very frustrating for Regensburg um, because, I mean, in the past couple of weeks, it wasn't like they were always just not performing, but that there were, like, I mean, when we talk about the game against Hanover, in a way, unlucky, but this is, like, they kind of beat themselves with situations like that. It was the second time they kind of, Look, at least they were getting a point or if you look back at the Hanover game, three points and then the a penalty changes everything and very unnecessary uh, necessarily challenges on the on the player that was fouled in a way because uh, Fortuna looked like the more comfortable team um, but they had problems getting their dominance obviously on the score sheet and it took that penalty um, where I would fully agree that it was a correct one um, to give them all three points. Um, yeah, and that was just, yeah. I, I feel very much for, for the young goalkeeper because it hasn't been easy weeks for him. Um, he's under so much pressure and we criticised that before um, that we aren't very, very sure about how good that is for a young goalkeeper like him to being put on or yeah being kind of the the victim of so much pressure uh, when you got just got a new goalkeeper in summer um who was a bit more experienced i mean in the end you don't wish for that kind of pressure on anyone but especially with um young players as a as a coach as a team um you have some sort of responsibility and i do feel like a bit that he is not like not that I want him out of that mm. team, but I mean, at some stage, you have to think about what is going to help more. Um, yeah, for for Düsseldorf, <laughs> don't know what to say in the end, uh, because yeah, very similar to to the Zenthausen game, it took a late goal to get all three points. Um, they definitely have to work on their efficiency in that in that way, um, because yeah, the the first half was not good at all. Didn't really get a shot on target there, and yeah, that's something like the accuracy is really missing in the end. Things will get more shots on target than them, um, although the. Those shots were not that dangerous if you if you look at the XG, for example. But yeah, you do feel sorry for Regensburg a bit um, because they're as mentioned before they weren't that bad. Like the defensively, they looked a bit more comfortable until their penalty um, essentially. So that's always a very very unlucky goal to concede. Um, but I mean, at the same time, condolences do not really help them. Yeah. Um, in this in this situation, so yeah, they and, and they don't have easier games coming up. Kiel, Paderborn, St. Pauli. So you don't really want to play them, especially Paderborn and St. Pauli at the moment. So yeah, yeah, I tend to agree. And 
you know, from observations, because, uh, you know, poor Jonas Ubig was essentially reduced to tears at the end of this game. You know, so much mental pressure on a 19-year-old kid that, you know, the leaders of that team are really failing. They're failing him as an individual to the point where, you know, the it's obviously this is outlandish to say, but they can ruin him from a mental standpoint. Goalkeeping is obviously a lot physical, but a lot of the way the game is played, it's very mental. He's you know, despite the fact he's only conceded nine goals in his his six games in the Spider Bundesliga, which is, you know, not a terrible return considering what's in front of him. His leaders are absolutely failing him to the point where when he returns to Kuhn in the summer, you know, who knows what is the outlook for him. He hasn't been terrible in goal. I think he's been actually an improvement on Stjanovic who just lost the lost the plot as a keeper. So, you know, it's hard not to feel empathetic with his situation because of what's happening on the pitch. And the un- the unfortunate part of being a goalkeeper is is that, you know, on the gr- the outfield players can make mistakes and they can make up for it. A goalkeeper makes a mistake and that's it. They lose. And on this occasion, his teammates let him down and they lost in a game that they probably didn't deserve to lose. And yet, the, he he will be kicking himself because he didn't go the right way. He didn't stay central for that Kovnatsky penalty. He'll kick himself. And it, he, you know, 9 out of 10 penalties go in. It's just, it's maddening. It, it's actually infuriating. Like, be better and support that man. He ne- clearly needs it. Needs man. I'd give him a huggy if I could. Honestly, I feel bad. Right, let's move to Sandhausen. Uh, they, of course, are bottom of the table. They hosted Holstein Kiel on Saturday. Don't want to bring this stat up, but this was the lowest attended game of the season. Just uh, over three and a half thousand made their way to the BWT Stadion am Hartfeld. Oh boy. This is this is really about how Kiel didn't win this game, because boy, did they find a way to not win this game in what was peak fashion. Robin Himmelman made his first start since joining Kiel in the winter, and things were on the up for Kiel after the break when Halkoval scored just two minutes into the second half. He's leaving Kiel at the end of his contract, which is the end of this season. Then they got a penalty when Jan Arp was kicked in the face. And I'm not entirely sure why Sandhausen fans and the players were remonstrating why it shouldn't have been a penalty to me anyway. Um, Stonewall penalty. He got kicked in the face. It's a foul last time I checked. Fabian Reza steps up and produces just a miserable penalty. I Essentially identical to the conditions they were playing in. It was miserable. Ugly. Disgusting penalty. Straight at Patrick Drewes. And then to add the ultimate insult to injury, virtually with the last kick of the game, Kiel unable to clear. The ball comes to Frankie Ivina. Tor Sanhausen. It's his first goal of the season since joining from Hanover Zwei. It is his first professional level goal because Hanover play, Hanover Zwei play in the Regionalliga, which is essentially semi-professional. It's his first professional goal since February of 2020 when he played for 
the Colonel's favourite team, KFC Erdogan. And that was a you know 1-0 win over Ingolstadt away from home. Not a lot to say about what Sandhausen did because they didn't do a whole lot in this game. They had a couple of chances that were of note. Uh, the the um, one from Diekmeyer in the second half. But this was a classic smash and grab because Kiel put themselves in a really unnecessary situation of danger. And as often is the case, when you put yourself in, in that area, you're going to be punished. And Sandhausen... They didn't have many quality chances, but the one that they did get, they took. Yeah, and funny enough, it's very similar. I mean, this is the second time this happened in just a couple of weeks when we talk about the Magdeburg game. Well, exactly that happened, where Kiel didn't take their chances, and they lost in the end, even. So, I don't know what's happening there, but it's not good. Um yeah, I mean the. It's difficult to say something about that, but because obviously good, good for Zandhausen to not lose this game in the end. Although a point doesn't equal it to all the other teams, a point doesn't really help. Um, but at the same time, like, I mean, we've seen the return of Polkrab and Thomas Oral. Um, where I was questioning how that's going to work out with what Ura played so far. Do not have a final opinion about that because Pokup did have those chances, but once again, the Kinzombie brothers are more what you kind of take a look at when you when you look at key passes, both of them. A triples one, um, shots on target, shots on goal, it's still the con- at least one of the Kinzombies in that case, David Kinzombie. Um, who you find there with the rest, it's both of them. Um, so, yeah, we still kind of figure out what um, what Ura's plan is, according to that. For Kiel, as mentioned, it's, I just don't have words. I mean, they should win this even without the penalty, but seeing a penalty like that, it's... It, it, yeah, like, I do not know. I mean, um, in group three, we're going to talk about how you should take a penalty, in my opinion. Um, but yeah, like, I don't even know what his plan was. Like, this works out maybe 0.5 out of 10 times, probably. Uh, and yeah. I mean, you could do that if you're like 3-0 up, but not if you're 1-0 up and We've seen what can happen with them. That pure dominance doesn't mean anything uh, if you can't really replicate that on the score sheet and invite. I mean, if we talk about the goal they conceded, how they aren't able to to clear the the, the Maya throw in. I mean, we know that. Sandhausen was dangerous through set pieces, and in a way that Deepmeyer throw in was a set piece. In a way that it got. Very, from a from a long way rage into the box and yeah they have problems with the set pieces in the first half um obviously with the whole Schreiber incident um but yeah like I just don't get and how how Becker didn't get on the score sheet as well is amazing to me yeah but to be fair 
I mean, this has been this is peak kill. This is what they've been all season. You know, they've been really good to watch, but bloody infuriating if you were a fan of them. Just tragedy. They Oh, the amount of points they've dropped this season has been incomprehensible. They've got Jan Regensborg on the weekend. Sandhausen getting the world feed treatment. They're away at Kaiserslautern on Friday night. We're going to take our final break. And on the other side, we're going to discuss all the action from Group 3 as a familiar face makes his return. It's Greta Fürth and Hanover. The return of Stefan Lytle to Fürth was uh, greeted with mixed receptions. As he tried to turn Hanover's fortunes around, they've been miserable in 2023. One point, which came at Jan Regensborg, they were hoping their second trip to Bavaria this year would wield better results. An incident that Eva mentioned earlier in the podcast was that Ragnar Ake had won a penalty. He was fouled by Luca Kreinch, but divine intervention and some smart officiating saw that penalty overturned. One could argue that the lack of contact or the minimal contact could have warranted Ake a yellow card, but I think they used some logic in this instance and they rescinded the penalty, which was quite good. Hanover did actually open the scoring in this game, amazingly. Henrik Vidant on 54 minutes, it just kind of fell to him and he took it first time, uh, smashing the ball past Andy Linder. Furt would get another penalty in this game and this one would stick. This one was also quite heavily conjectured. This did have the video assistant helping uh, referee Florian Heft, but given a penalty, the foul on Mamalu, who um, was a bit unlucky in my opinion, but a penalty was given. Branimir Hugurta, who'd won the penalty, he scored the penalty, and that was your final. A goal apiece. Hanover scoring just their second point of the season. Alexander Zorniger, yeah, he was not entirely happy after the match, but that's why they call him angry. Um, it seemed like a pretty even game. You know, Furt had the lion's share of possession. They, they, they definitely controlled it a bit more than, than Hanover tried to get them on the break, but... It's hard to really determine where Hanover... Well, we know where Hanover are at the moment. They're in a really precarious position. They've got some big games coming up, including Rostock and then the the derby against Braunschweig. But they, to me, they they look a bit lost as a club. They're trying to find the magic potion that will turn their season around. But everything they've tried so far, from younger players switching to a back four... Um, you know, moving players around. They started Henrik Vidant for the first time in what seems like forever. Um, everything they seem to try in terms of new personnel just doesn't work. And, you know, if, as I said last week, they're really uh, hitting Panic of the Disco type vibes here. And if they can't get a result against Rostock, who in theory they should be, because Rostock couldn't score against me at this point. Um, Oh boy, we could be seeing some real trouble in Lower Saxony. Yeah, and my my thing is obviously this game was at the same time when Bielefeld played, so I didn't really see a lot 
of that, but I obviously saw Twitter and everyone was raging about the second penalty decision. Mm. And I just have the question, why? Yeah. <laughs> like, for me, um, I can't agree that the first one was, wasn't given. We just talked about that also in comparison with the Glatzer Schindler situation. But the second one, obviously, we see that a lot. What we in, in German obviously call Einfädeln, so that obviously a contact by the striker or the player and the ball is encouraged in a way, mm. but it's still a foul. Yep. Like, stay away. <laughs> and I mean, obviously for Momolo, it's a bit difficult because he isn't even a defender. Nope. Um, he tries his best to work in the back as well, and it ends like this. But for me, it's fair to give this a penalty. Yep. I didn't really understand mm. the, the cry out about this. Um I would just say it's just rather stupid to go in like this. If you and I mean we actually know that this Gota is clever in doing or handling situations like that, provoking situations like that. So yeah, I don't know. And then you just have to say that Hanover did to less to deserve three points out of this game. That is the thing. They just didn't do enough to get all three points in this game. Um, they let Fürth take the upper end and they had the much more better chances to get three points out of this game in the end through Ache, um, through Abiyama, they get, get to show that scene in the end where he unnecessarily kind of tries to get the grip of the ball and his foot is way too high up in Neumann's face when they're both on the ground obviously at the mm. same time um, and I think it's they Hannibal's just way too passive uh, for the majority of the game and I mean the Henrik Weidang stores against Fürth is no wonder third, third game for him against Fürth third goal uh, I mean if that's everything you're building on and I mean, also the thing is with with Stefan Leitl, obviously, uh, we spoke about what he says after games, um, how we weren't like how we weren't really sure his comments after the Ringsburg game helped after saying a week before that uh, there will be consequences. Uh, I have the feeling that this Hanover team is deeply insecure about what they can do mm. um, and about their expectations. And um, yeah, it obviously doesn't help that they have two game or three games coming up against teams if they lose them. Mm. Um, they pull themselves or they put themselves, drag themselves down into a position they've never wanted to be in the first place but because of what they did like we take we talk about the, a VAR scene that was correct um, and they like this is not the reason why they didn't get all three points mm-hmm. oh, it's because they completely gave up playing after they scored 
and they way too easily gave up this game three minutes after they took the lead. And you had you had the the Paderborn game where like it looked like they were comfortable. They have huge problems keeping holding on to leads. Um, and yeah, I mean, although we say Rostock, I mean Rostock is a team that can still surprise you. Um, I mean they haven't scored. They only have scored one goal this season, uh, this this year. Um, <laughs> but still, uh, like they're meeting a Hanover team where it's very very clear that. Hanover is the team where the most pressure is on and not Rostock, no matter where they at. So and then obviously the Derby as mentioned before. Um and then Sandhausen. So they gotta win at least two out of these games. Mm. They they have to. And they will hope that the Derby is one of them. Ooh yeah. Oh absolutely. The can just sense that that international break would be a very uncomfortable one if they couldn't win. Remember when they met previously, it was a 1-1 draw. Um, Fuhr, on the other hand, they're away at St. Pauli. Then they've got Magdeburg before the international break and then Paderborn straight after that. Let's make our way to Magdeburg, the MDCC Arena. 25,500 made their way for a Friday night tilt against Kaiserslautern. Lauten have been yeah, struggling a lot, especially away from home. Their last two away results were defeats, but they were hoping to change that. They thought they had the opening goal moments into the game. Initial effort on goal was parried away. Terence Boyd was on hand to put it into the back of the net, but he was offside, and boy was he offside. Then it was all Magdeburg, and Magdeburg turned the screws in this game. They had chance after chance after chance. The best was from Elhan Khoury's long-range distance effort being saved by Andy Luther. Though the resistance was futile in the end from Kaiserslautern because just before the break, the deadlock was broken. A delicate ball from Jason Checker. Finding Moritz Kwarteng... And Kwarteng did the rest. He may need to work on his knee slide celebrations. But the finish was cool, calm and collected. Despite Checker having an assist, he was yanked at halftime for Tatsuya Ito. And Magdeburg went from strength to strength. Doubling their advantage just after the hour mark. An excellently intelligent run in behind the defence from Ito and a superb backheel pass that was perfectly timed from Baris Attic, who was outstanding in this game. Despite this, the, the angle looked difficult for Ito, but boy was he spectacular with the finish. With Luta trying to close down the angle, an excellent finish around the body saw Ito get his third goal of the season. And in the last few games, he has been a very impactful substitute for Christian Tietz. He should have had a second in this game. Attic again doing the legwork. Ito one-on-one, -on -one, but this time he chose the wrong area. He went for the near post when he should have gone to the far post. Full-time goes and Magdeburg have now won three of their last four. Two consecutive wins on the bounce. They are now six points clear of the bottom three. And things are on the up for Magdeburg. 
it's really interesting to kind of digress because as Magdeburg have won three of their last four, Kaiserslautern have lost three of their last four. And the thing that's become clear in terms of the criticism behind Kaiserslautern, we'll talk about them first, is they've become a bit more pragmatic. That sort of aggressiveness, that desire to get forward when games are in the balance, they find ways... They've seemed to lose, they've lost a little bit of their spark. And this can happen with teams who have gained promotion, who have, let's be frank, overperformed what they were expected to do this season. And I don't know, but they, maybe in my opinion, they've kind of gone back into their shell a bit. And they're not really the same team. He went with a back three this week, did Dirk Schuster, and it didn't really work because once Magdeburg were able to bypass the wing backs. Boy, did they have a lot of fun in the final third. And, and arguably, this result, 2-0, is flattering for Kaiserslautern. Yeah, I mean, at the same time, it's very privileged um, to talk about that in a way. Because, I mean, we they're still very comfortable, but kind of this is where I was coming from. We're mm. saying, I don't think we will still talk about Kaiserslautern as one of the contenders for promotion. Um, they normalized a bit. They kind of, and I mean, we. it was crazy from the get-go that we were talking about mm. a game where two promoted sides were playing against each other, and it was a surprise that one of those won. Um, like, this is very crazy if we would have talked about at this at the beginning of the season that towards the end of this kind of season, we were not expecting this because they have taken so different paths throughout the season it's okay for Kaiserslautern I mean you you have to kind of look out how they gonna continue that they not completely kind of give up but at the same time other teams figured out what they did like and at the same time stuff like that Terence Boyd isn't being completely not taken seriously probably um in what he can do is a way and especially from a side that was promoted with them um and you gotta say i mean i've i've criticized mark de Bourg, um this this season that often i did like that what we're doing very typical christian tate's fo- football at the same time they were kind of ruining it because defensively they were very naive um but they when they were tested they had a fantastic Ryman in the goal um and you really really had the feeling it, it was working out um and they really kept Kaiserslautern you you can't keep Kaiserslautern out of your half for 90 minutes uh but they've managed to take the chances they were given and this is the difference they they still had a lot of shots on goal but they finally managed to at least get some of that on the score sheet and obviously for them it's massive to not have conceded a goal either and you really really have to say um, this combination with Cheka, Artic, Kwateng and Ito um We've seen it last week. We've seen it this week. Um, 
is fantastic and uh yeah especially Arctic was was bringing in this game um and kind of the individual quality they need in this um in this fight for for staying in the league um and they have something that other teams right now don't have that they win games where maybe you don't expect them to um at the same time they um yeah do that with the plan with with something that we would consider as not pure luck or just um in the moment kind of working out but something that can work uh that is sustainable um because we know that that's what Tate is kind of looking for um and that's i think that's very vital and it's going to be very interesting in the game against Paderborn uh because we know for them it's actually better to play against teams who are in the upper half of the table um if you look back at the Haas game obviously but just because it's um because they are good and first of all because they do something that is normally not expected by teams in the lower half they have possession um and at the same time they show good good thing especially in midfield with that and with stabilizing i mean you really have to talk about heva as well who who has stabilized um that marked a book defense it was a very good addition um i mean they still concede goals but you you do have the feeling uh they work a bit better together now um and i think that's why it's more fair to actually talk about marked book in this game than it's about kaiserslautern yeah i mean the the important thing is they're in games and that's the the crucial state of play is that they're not you know kicking themselves out of play. So some interesting things. This was their second clean sheet of the season. And this is their first home win of 2023. You have to go all the way back to October 2nd for their last clean sheet and their last home win. And they were against Jan Regensburg. Their only other home win they've had this season was on match day 8 against Greutherford, who they beat two goals to one, who they ironically play in two weeks' time. And finally, we'll head off to Rostock. Hansa hosted Karlsruhe in what was going to be a big game for both sides. Karlsruhe hoping to extend their winning run to three, whereas Rostock were in desperate need of breaking a two-game losing run. Hmm. I actually underestimated Karlsruhe. They were going for four wins. It started very well for them when debutant referee... For the first time in the Spider Bundesliga, Tom Bauer gave a penalty for Karlsruhe when Mikael Kaufmann was fouled by Damian Rosbach. Clear penalty, no problem there. Marvin Vanitzek from the spot, you know what it is. That dude knows how to take a penalty. Goal number eight for the season. And then on 25 minutes, Paul Nebel, who hasn't been on the score sheet for quite some time. He gets a second goal. And that's all she wrote. Karlsruhe did have a third goal through Kaufman, but he was offside. 2 nils your final. Interesting things to come out of this game is that Karlsruhe have now won four on the bounce. They are now ninth. It's been a long time since they've tasted the top half of the table. 
Rostock, on the other hand, it's three consecutive defeats in a row. And there's an interesting issue that they have, which we've discussed most of this season. They can't score goals in 12 of their 13 defeats this season. They have failed to hit the back of the net. So it is clear when they don't score, they don't pick up points. And um, we learnt a lot about what Rostock, uh, the predicament that they are in, um, heading into their next few games against Hanover and Fortuna Dusseldorf, and then returning from the international break in a Ost uh, derby against uh, Magdeburg. They are in strife. Patrick Gluckner has come in to try and stabilise, but the st- the, uh, the stabilisers have fallen off. And if um, Braunschweig and Bielefeld were to start picking up points, you know, uh, they are in serious trouble. Um, you know, last season, you can attribute their survival to the plethora of goals that Jean Verhoek scored for them, having Hanno Behrens. Who, who would have thought Hanno Behrens would be a big loss for them this season? Um, they they just... I don't know where to go with Rostock because it it's... Um, I don't know, Eva, help help me out, please, because they just they are very much pushing themselves into the bottom that bottom four, turning it into a bottom five. And we, we talk about that they could maybe shock the world and, and get a result against Hanover. I mean they, they did it last season. They scored three goals in that game on match day two. But I just can't see it happening. They there's just no cohesion in that final third and then all it takes is one individual mistake which cut which Rostock has defensively and the moment they go behind, they're just not coming back. Yeah, and the problem is, obviously, we've seen improvement from Hertha to Glöckner, but And similar to what we talked about going from Forte to Scherning, uh, improvement was needed. But the thing is, is it enough? And, I mean, we've seen Monsi coming back... Mm. Um, which we, I have to admit, I forgot about him a bit. And it's just that they're so harmless throughout the game. This is, I mean, they they had the, they have chances at the beginning and then they just kind of stop the, the, they just stop to, to create chances for a small period of time. I mean, they, had his one shot in the first half um, with Munzi. Then you had Prüger, kind of. And then they just forgot about it in, for the rest of the, the first half. And obviously, um, I have to say, I mean, we criticize referees a lot, but I have to say I was uh, very impressed by by this, um, by Tom Bauer, which you just spoke about. It was his uh, debut. I thought, the the penalty decision was correct. He was very calm in what he did. Um, the obviously the offside cor- decision was correct. Um, although, um, yeah, that's not something he can do a lot about. Yeah. Obviously, um, also always great if you look at the look watch the Champions League and you see the semi-automatic mm. uh, offside decision. How fast it can be! It's so amazing. And uh, that actually the pictures you get there, it actually helps because, um, yeah, perspective is, is a huge problem when we decide on, on offside decisions. Um, 
Yeah, I mean, for, for Karlsruhe, um, it's kind of the revival they need. It's good for them to not have conceded a goal. Um, it's, it was a bit of luck in the end. I think the, the, the second goal they scored um, was more an unlucky goal for Rostock to concede than a perfectly well-executed goal by Karlsruhe. Let's put it like that. Um, and then in the end, but as well that they put everything on the pitch to to win that game. There was one scene where Kobold clears the ball before Pruer can get to it for the shot. And yeah, that was um, a good result for them. Um, the result they needed before it get like they they play against Hammergenheim. This is what we said before. This is where, where they have to pick up points against Rostock because the next two games aren't get, going to get easier. Um, and then obviously the whole focus will be on the contract game again after the international break for Rostock. Yeah, Hanover. This is we just spoke about it. The Hanover game is going to be massive for for both sides. Um, then they play Fortuna Düsseldorf, who are always good for surprises as well when it comes to matches like this. And then obviously, massive, massive game. One of the most important ones, I would assume, against Magdeburg. Um, and as of right now, I see a much clearer path for Magdeburg going forward than I see for Rostock. Yeah, I would agree. Um, the way both teams are playing, it almost would seem like Magdeburg will wipe the floor with them. But that's obviously four weeks, three weeks away. So four weeks away. So yeah, uh, you mentioned um, Karlsruhe and winning those, you know, four wins in a row. They've beaten all the teams that they needed to beat. They beat Fürth, which was actually a bit of an upset when it happened because they were down to 10 men. Uh, they beat Sandhausen. They beat Regensburg last week. They beat Rostock. Ticks across the board. This is their third consecutive game with a clean sheet as well so um you know all big dubs for for Karlsruhe and look they, they, it's going to be a tough task for them to get a result against Hamburg and Heidenheim but if they can take a point um yeah that'll feel really good into that they've got that gaggle of games they've got three against Braunschweig, Nuremberg and, and Bielefeld and they'll really feel like they're a chance in those games the way they are playing now let's make a move to our kick tips. Alex is still the runaway leader after match day 23. He's got 278 points. Kudos to you. Our top scorer for this week was Glob Memes. I love a good meme. Top scoring with 19. Congratulations to you. Um, and yeah, I think that's it. We've got um, for the women listening, of course, happy International Women's Day. It's great to celebrate the women in our lives. And it should be noted that every day, we should be celebrating them regardless of just having one day. You should cherish the people around you 365, 24-7. So, yeah. Um, we'll be back again to do it all again when Match Day 24 comes around this weekend. Thank you so much for being a part of it and listening to our podcast. Uh, yeah, on Wednesday, next Wednesday, we'll do it all again. Um, have a fantastic weekend. Hopefully the football is great. I'm sure it will be. And we'll see you next time when the Spider Bundesliga returns. Thank you.